you're about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Remains of giant human beings, or occasionally of dwarfish ones, have been found every so often throughout recorded history. Occasionally, skeletons are found with even more bizarre features, including horns or double rows of teeth. Some of these finds were faulty descriptions of archaeological finds, and I think it's equally likely that some were cases of ancient people who were afflicted with gigantism or other genuine genetic conditions. In the 1930s, prospectors in Wyoming, though, found the remains of a dwarfish humanoid that was better preserved than the usual. This is episode 41, and this is the story of Pedro. Arthur Machen once wrote that strange things are lost and forgotten in obscure corners of the newspaper. Welcome to Forgotten Darkness, a podcast that will aim to prove that that statement is true. Cecil M. Main and Frank Carr were two gold prospectors scouting for a claim in the Pedro Mountains in central Wyoming in October of 1932. Gold prospecting was an extremely common activity during the Great Depression, especially in the West. Destitute and desperate for a way to alleviate their situation, people seized on any long shot available to try to make themselves some money. While I'm not certain that Maine and Carr fall into this category of prospector, it's certainly reasonable to assume so. They were blasting essentially at random, a fairly common technique among prospectors, believe it or not, when they blasted open a small cave, 15 feet deep and only 3 feet wide. The cave appeared to have been sealed shut deliberately with loose rock. Maine made his way into the small rock shelter, and at its end, sitting on a natural ledge, was the mummy that came to be called Pedro, after the mountains in which he was found. The mummy was tiny. It wasn't until I saw photographs of it being held by Bob David that I realized just how tiny. Seated in a cross-legged position, its arms crossed over its legs, he, I call him he because of the boy's name usually given to the mummy, as far as I know, its true gender was never def- definitively determined, although to be fair, most sources refer to it as male also. Stood just six and a half inches tall in a seated position, and in a standing posture would likely have stood about 14 inches tall. He had an unusual facial appearance, with large eyes, a flat nose, and a wide mouth. His head was flat and appeared to be injured in some way. Some say the head appeared to just Some say the head appeared gelatinous. Some also say he had a thin fringe of gray hair on his head, 
and some also say that he was covered in short hair. Shortly after finding the mummy, Cecilmaine tried to sell it to a state historian living in Casper, who declined to purchase it, citing, in part, an inability on his part to establish its provenance, and that it had, in fact, come from Wyoming. However, at this time the first preliminary examinations of Pedro were undertaken, by an unnamed doctor who thought it was the mummy of a premature birth. He also felt that it may have been preserved in chemicals of some sort. In 1936, the mummy was in the possession of a Homer F. Sherrill, employed by the Wyoming Commercial Oil Company, and, said some, located in the Field Museum, Chicago, Illinois. However, there was no evidence that Pedro was, indeed, at that museum. Although they did have documentation of it, which does imply it was examined there at some point. That year, also, Cecil M. Maine signed an affidavit which swore that he and Carr had found the mummy in June of 1934. Many other versions of the mummy's discovery came to light in the coming years. A man named Robert Cardwell says that the discovery took place in 1932, as claimed by Maine and Carr, but that the discovery was made by some striking miners employed on his father Henry's ranch near the Pathfinder Reservoir. More specifically, it had been found by a man named Skinny Rimmer. When Robert's mother refused to let Henry bring the grotesque curiosity into the house, it eventually ended up at the Gay and Horseman funeral home in Casper. Another version, appearing in a 1978 Argosy article, claimed that a Mexican shepherd discovered the mummy, and six severed and mummified heads near the Pathfinder Reservoir, but that he came to believe that they were cursed, and he buried them. Another shepherd tale says that it was discovered by a man hunting coyotes, and was later sold to a dentist for drinking money. Yet another says that it was an attorney from Casper who found the money, and that Richard Phelps had a severed and mummified head. This head happens to exist in the collections of the University of Wyoming, and has proven to be made of plant fiber, and to be merely a dried and carved potato or turnip. And all these, all these tales of the discovery of the mummy seem to imply that, if they're not all plain inventions, that there were many mummies found in that area. Whatever the facts of its discovery, someone, maybe Homer F. Sherrill, maybe it had changed hands, began to exhibit the mummy at fairs and carnivals in the following years. One witness to one of these displays told Eugene Beshore, The first time was in 1938 or 1939 in Casper, Wyoming. It was in a trailer house, a 4th of July celebration, or maybe the, the annual Natrona County Fair was going on at the time. The line into the trailer was very long. As I remember, it took about a half hour to get to the trailer. Admission was 25 cents. The mummy was sitting on a table in the trailer, and there was a guard at each end of the table, both armed. The line moved right along, and I didn't have time to look the mummy over. Two men sold the mummy to Floyd Jones, proprietor of a drugstore Mati- Matitsi, who kept Pedro in his store. Here, it was seen by a man named Harvey Wilkins. By the door in the store was a case with a little dried man. He was about 45 inches high, the skin was still on it, and the features were very plain to see. 
Someone or something has bashed him over the head and killed him, and the blood had run down over his face and dried there. I'm not certain why Wilkins claims the mummy was 45 inches tall, because that's plainly not the case. His claim of blood on the mummy's face also is disputed by George Heber, who specifically recalls that there was none present, but it could also be his wording of like the, the gelatinous description of Pedro's head that, ha- that has come up before. At some point in the 1940s, Jones sold the mummy to a Casper car dealer named Ivan Goodman. Goodman also possessed a pygmy head, though this was likely to be fake, similar to the one that Richard Phelps had. While in the possession of Goodman, George Hebert saw the mummy. He states that there was no blood on the face, contradicting the statements made by Harvey Wilkins. He also stated that when the mummy was held under a lamp, it excreted some sort of clear liquid that he thought may have been formaldehyde or some other preservative. This backs up the statement made by the unnamed doctor shortly after its discovery that he thought it had been preserved in chemicals. He also commented on the mummy's peculiarly protuberant eyes, saying that the way it seemed to gaze at you made you uncomfortable and that the right eye would look at you in strange ways. Bob David, who was the individual holding Pedro's jar in one of the photographs in this episode's photo gallery, said also that it was covered with some sort of blonde fuzz, and also that it possessed sharp, pointed teeth. Goodman also had promotional brochures describing Pedro printed up at some point, most likely in 1950, as it included Shapiro's x-rays described in a moment. Titled, It's Educational, It's Scientific, it included quotes from various authorities. One which was featured prominently was from a noted scientist named Dr. Henry Fairfield, who had proclaimed Pedro to be a Hesperopithecus, a sort of hominid which roamed America in prehistoric times. In actuality, Hesperopithecus did not truly exist. In 1922, the paleontologist Henry Fairfield Osborne had given this name to a tooth uncovered by a Nebraska farmer named Harold Cook in 1917. However, when further digs in 1925 yielded other portions of the skeleton, it became apparent that the tooth belonged not to an ape, but to an extinct peccary, a kind of wild pig, named Prosthenops. Fairfield, by the way, died in 1935, and it's doubtful whether he was ever even aware of the mummy. In 1950, Goodman arranged for further study of the mummy. He had it sent to the American Museum of Natural History in New York, where it was x-rayed by curator Harry L. Shapiro, who found that there was, indeed, a skeletal system inside the mummy, confirming that whatever it was, it was, at least, a genuine body and not a gaff of some sort. However, he noted that the configuration of some of the bones was different from what would normally be expected. Also, the bones in the wrists appeared to be absent, or in any case didn't show up on the x-rays for some reason. Shapiro seems to have been relatively certain that Pedro was an anencephalic infant. Anencephaly is a genetic condition in which an infant is born with a brain that is either severely underdeveloped or even completely absent. Infants with this condition are usually stillborn or die very shortly after birth. 
the facial features of babies born with this condition do generally match up with what we see in Pedro. Other reports, though, claim that Shapiro proclaimed the mummy to be that of an adult man. I personally doubt that, though, since Goodman was apparently dissatisfied with Shapiro's tests, and later had it sent to the Field Museum in Chicago, where it was again x-rayed by Paul Martin, curator of the anthropology department. Martin, however, agreed that it was likely an anencephalic infant. Martin's team also stated that x-rays show conclusively that the supposed dwarf cannot be an adult. The development of the bones is exactly like that of a child at birth. They also felt that Pedro was deposited probably not more than 25 years ago. Suggestions that it is the body of a miniature prehistoric man are fantastic. It might have been a skeleton from someone's family closet, probably surreptitiously deposited in the cave in which it was discovered. Martin also stated that contrary to appearances, Pedro's body was withered and desiccated, but not truly mummified. Ivan Goodman loaned the mummy to a New Yorker named Leonard Wadler in 1951. Shortly thereafter, he died, and the mummy stayed with Wadler. And here, it disappears from the record. I'm certain that this is referring to S. Leonard Wadler, who was a cultural historian who, according to a widely syndicated 1966 article, was putting together a museum of love, courtship, and marriage associated with New York State University. He had apparently amassed amassed quite a collection of artifacts, and was also at least somewhat interested in genetic diseases and conditions. In 1979, Dr. George Gill of the University of Wyoming examined the x-rays Harry Shapiro had taken in 1950. He agreed with the assessments of both Shapiro and Paul Martin that Pedro was most likely the body of an anencephalic infant. In 1994, the TV show Unsolved Mysteries featured a, a segment on Pedro, which featured interviews with author Eugene Bashore and George Gill. Shortly after this appearance, Gill was contacted by a Wyoming family who told him of a, of a mummy they had in their possession. As far as they knew, this mummy had also been found in or about 1929, also near the Pathfinder Reservoir. When Gill examined this mummy, a female called Chiquita in this case, it also proved to be that of an anencephalic infant. The mummy was given back to the family who owned it. Gill theorized that for some reason, anencephaly might have been quite common among the Native Americans of the Pedro Mountain region. Barry Strang, a rancher on whose property Pedro may have been found, says that he, that he heard that they often wore medicine bags containing, among other things, uranium. This often caused children to be born like the Pedro mummy. This might be urban legend, but the radiation could certainly contribute to an increased rate of defective births. The mummy itself being who knows where, that's where the story lies, until such time as it might be found. The manufacture of fraudulent pygmy mummies was, a, was, a, was apparently a common activity. As far back as Marco Polo's voyages, he described how certain tribesmen on the island of Sumatra often made such fakes. I may tell you, moreover, 
that when people bring home pygmies which they allege to come from India, tis all a lie and a cheat. For those little men, as they call them, are manufactured on this island, and I will tell you how. You see, there is on this island a kind of monkey which is very small, and has a face just like a man's. They take these and pluck out all the hair except the hair of the beard and on the breast, and then they dry them and stuff them and daub them with saffron and other things until they look like men. But you see, it is all a cheat, for nowhere in India nor anywhere else in the world were there ever seen men so small as these pretended pygmies. This seems to have been especially common in Asia. Japanese temples often assembled mummies of various types of demons or monsters, and of course Barnum's famed Fiji mermaid came from this part of the world as well. But Pedro was undoubtedly genuine. All in all, I think it to be pretty evident that he was indeed an anencephalic infant, as pretty much all the scientists have said. <laughs> like I said earlier, his facial features are remarkably consistent, and the allusions to a head wound or a gelatinous look to his head would in turn be consistent with what would be expected there. Other pygmy mummies and skeletons have been found throughout the United States. Scores of them were reputedly found in Tennessee in the 1800s, but one of the most famous is a red-haired mummy three and a half feet tall, supposedly found in Mammoth Cave, Kentucky in the 1930s. Indeed, Several mummies have been found in that area, but ironically, none of them within Mammoth Cave itself. Several were found in Short Cave, a, mummif a mummified infant in 1811, that of a red-haired woman nearly six feet tall, found in 1813 and called Fawnhoof, the so-called Scudder's Mummy, which was sold to P.T. Barnum in 1841, and then lost when P.T. Barnum's New York Museum burned in 1868, and finally, that of a normal-sized female, again red-haired, sold to a museum in Cincinnati. Another was found in 1875 in Salt's Cave to the east of Mammoth on Flint Ridge. This mummy was about four feet tall, approximately the size of the pygmy, though no particular hair is mentioned. At first thought to be a girl, and so-called Little Alice, this mummy, though, later proved to be that of a male, and was undoubtedly that of a child nine or ten years of age, accounting for the stature. A 1941 article appearing in the Milwaukee Sentinel says, In the summer of 1934, a scientist found 30 well-developed primate skulls in the Beartooth Mountains, a range of the Rockies in Montana, and about 300 miles northwest of where this mummy was found. He estimated that these primates, from which man descended, lived from 156 to, one, to 175 millions of years ago, and that the age of this mummy was approximately 3 million years. Now, when they keep referring to this mummy in that excerpt, they're of course referring to Pedro. But this pronouncement, of course, is dubious in the extreme, not least because the dates of the Montana primate's apparent existence would place it firmly in the middle of the Jurassic period, when mammals of any sort were practically non-existent, and the unnamed scientist's estimate of Pedro's age at 3 million is similarly ludicrous, 
because that would indicate that he lived at a time when Australopithecus was still roaming Africa. The find itself seems to refer to the discovery of several skulls, and indeed full mummies, in the Bear Tooths in 1922 by Bill Street, who, however, was a shepherd and not a scientist. A chunk of coal pulled from an Eocene deposit in the Eagle Mutual Coal Mine in Bear Creek, which was in the foothills of the Bear Tooths, in 1926, was found to contain an apparent human molar, which according to some was a simulacrum, or a natural object that only appeared to be a molar, and which others claimed was actually the tooth of an extinct mammal known as a condylarth, which is an ancestor of most modern ungulate mammals. Often coming up in discussions of Pedro is a rich tradition among Native Americans, particularly Rocky Mountain tribes, of dwarfish pygmies that lived in the wilderness. The Flathead tribe of northern Montana believed that before they came to settle in the area, a tribe of dark-skinned dwarves about three feet in height lived there. The dwarves had a society identical to the Flatheads, and even possessed miniature horses. As the Flatheads gained in strength, the dwarves retreated into the mountains, where they were said to sleep during the day and emerge at night. They were often said to act as spiritual guardians for flathead shamans. The Nez Perce and Coeur d'Alene tribes in what is now Idaho also had legends of dwarves, which dressed in squirrel skins and had miniature bows and arrows. They often yelled at hunters in the forest. There were also the Itztayaha, or, or stick Indians, which wore deer skins and had long, long hair, small eyes, and wrinkly skin. But the most commonly mentioned group of pygmies are the Nymeragar, or Nanimbi, that were known to the Shoshone. The Shoshone were the tribe native to most of Wyoming, and if Pedro was indeed a Native American corpse, most likely the tribe that he would have belonged to. These dwarves were hostile, and warred with the first Shoshone that came to the area. However, they in turn were prone to attack by eagles and hawks. This is eerily similar to how the original pygmies, described as living in Africa by the ancient Greeks, were said to wage perpetual war against cranes. The Nymeragar were sometimes said to devour the babies of the Shoshone, conjuring images of Pedro's supposedly pointed teeth. I'll take a break here for some promos, and then I'll be back with some other stories of discovered remains of pygmies in the United States. Hi there, I'm Oz from the Oddball Aussie Podcast. Do you enjoy hearing about ufology, the paranormal, cryptids, and anything else that's strange or unknown? If so, then my show might just be for you. Join me for a different topic once a week and a midweek show that's all about listeners' true stories. Follow me on Twitter at AussieOddball or email me at theoddballaussie at hotmail.com. Hope you enjoy the show and stay safe out there in the weird. Hello, all you curious creatures out there. I'm Amber Ray. And I'm Andrew McKay. And we are the hosts of Into the Portal, 
If you like myths, legends, history with a paranormal twist, join us every week as we explore lesser-known mysteries of our world and beyond. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, and all other major podcast platforms, and at intotheportal.com, your gateway to the bizarre. The only question is, do you dare peer into the portal? St. Louis, Missouri, Post-Dispatch, May 26, 1896 New York, May 26 Dispatches received here from Williamsport, Pennsylvania, announced that John Lupping, a farmer living near Waynesburg, has unearthed what are undoubtedly the skeletons of a race of pygmies. He was plowing up an old orchard. The stones that cover the graves are about ten inches under the ground, and are the only stones found in the field. Two days ago, a party of men went to the field and opened several of the graves. The first one was covered by a stone two feet wide and three feet long. The vault measured 18 inches in width, two feet in length, and nine inches in depth. The following measurements of some parts go to show the size of these skeletons. Head six inches, spinal column nine inches, femur six inches, tibia five inches, humerus six inches, forearm three and a half inches, ribs three and a half inches. In one of the skeletons, a portion of the skull had crumbled away and a portion of the ribs were gone. But the teeth were remarkably well preserved and showed that they had done service for an adult. The wisdom teeth were full grown. The skeleton seemed to be well proportioned. The hair is curly. The second grave contained the skeleton of a child. It was about six inches in length and a small finger ring could be slipped over the femur bone, which was not more than an inch in length. Other graves will be opened, and the first perfect skeleton discovered will be sent to the Smithsonian Institution. Everything in the neighborhood indicates that this burial ground is near a town site of prehistoric people. Pieces of broken pottery, clay, flint implements, etc. are found in large numbers. In every instance, the face of the skeleton has been found tor turned toward the east, and the body is in a cramped, doubled-up position. Billings, Montana, Weekly Gazette, August 30th, 1907. Oakoma, South Dakota, August 29th. A remarkable prehistoric burying ground has been cut into by railroad graders near here, and the remains of what appears to be a pygmy race have been discovered. The old burying ground is now a great deposit of gravel, and it is in this that the bones are found. Some 50 skeletons have so far been unearthed. These are all of a race of dwarfs about four feet high, and the physicians have pronounced them the remains of adults, not children. The bodies were buried standing or sitting. One of the skeletons, however, is that of a giant more than eight feet high. Near the giant skeleton was found a number of copper implements, as well as several of bone. In one of the graves were two copper idols, about eight inches tall. And that's the end of this episode. If you have a question a comment, or if you know a lesser-known story that you'd like to see covered, leave a comment on the podcast page, 
post it to our Facebook page at Forgotten Darkness Podcast, or send it to our email at ForgottenDarkness77 at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at Forgotten Darkness Podcast. And so, until next episode, this is Andrew, signing off. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com.